When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit today about the Representation of the People Act 1918, the act that um, gives uh, a large proportion of uh, female voters for the first time um, the vote uh, in the United Kingdom and enfranchises the remaining 40% of uh, working class male um, voters. And the um, there's there's a lot talked about the representation of the people act at um, a kind of very um, elementary level uh, schools um, that maps into um, quite a straightforward narrative um, about women's suffrage, and uh, it goes something like this: that the women's suffrage movement in the eighteen nineties and all the way up to the eve of the war uh, became progressively more radical and um, caused a great deal of trouble for the Liberal government. And then the war occurred and women um, kind of knuckled down and engaged in war work. And um, the Pankhurst family and the Women's Social and Political Union, the uh, suffragettes as they've been labelled by the Daily Mail, they uh, abandon their radicalism and embrace a, a more patriotic uh, tone. Now, these things are all largely true, but they don't really explain the uh, representation of the People Act um, in any meaningful way. So I thought we could try and pick it apart today. Now, the representation of the People Act is passed in uh, February 1918 and becomes a statute in March and it um, grants uh, the right to vote to the remaining 40% of uh, working-class male voters and women of property. Um, the the, the uh, poorest um, of the, um, the working classes, the, the women there, don't get the right to vote and won't do till 1928. Um, and the... The problem as well with the, the kind of the previous thesis is the assumption that um, the vote was given when it was clear that the war was, was won. You know, women had um, been you know, hard workers throughout the war and, and here was, was their reward. But of course, this, at this stage, the war is far from won. 
And in fact, um, as of the 21st of March 1918, it becomes decidedly um, questionable whether the war is going to be won at all, because the uh, Ludendorff Spring Offensive overwhelms the British and French on the Western Front in a massive, massive coordinated, five coordinated attacks, which um, take um, tens of thousands of prisoners and uh, threaten to split the, the armies in two. Um, this, at this point, Clemenceau uh, was thinking of evacuating Paris. So um, this, this kind of doesn't really make much sense. Um, of course, there is an election after the war um, in which women are allowed to vote for the first time. But the, the motivation um, of rewarding women for all their efforts and endeavours um, is, is there's a case that is, that's difficult to make. In addition to this, um, governments don't tend to be able to act like that. You know, the governments don't tend to um, treat their populations like children who have been good and therefore can now have a treat. Um, and the idea that women um, were to be bribed with um, just the vote, again, doesn't make much sense because the campaigners for the vote, the women's suffrage movement... Um, was a widespread and diverse um, movement for um, uh, social, economic and um, political uh, equality. So for them, the, uh, the real rewards were, were, were other things too. So why bother? Why do this? Why suddenly um, democratise um, democratize, um, Britain? in this sense, um, when it hadn't really been on the agenda of the Liberal government before the war or the coalition government during the war? Well, to, to answer this one, you've kind of got to look overseas. Firstly, in February 1917, there's a revolution in Russia, a Liberal revolution, a, um, a revolution which does an immense amount for the uh, Anglo-French um, war effort. The, one of the great lingering embarrassments for the British and the French was the fact that um, they had to ally themselves with this archaic and despotic autocracy in Russia, the Tsars um, Russia of um, you know, uh, repression and anti-Semitism and... Um, prejudice and Russification and all these kinds of things. Um, and the, the um, British and French, who both have you know, limited uh, franchises, uh, limited electorates, still view their kind of um, autocratic uh, ally in the East as, as something of an acute embarrassment. And the fact that they don't particularly pursue the war very well makes matters even worse. Um, so it's a great relief when Russia democratises itself. And in April 1917, of course, America enters the war. So now you have, for um, so up until October 1917, um, some a brief, glorious eight months or so, uh, where you have four um, liberal democratic powers allied with one another, 
that can clearly um, make a distinction between themselves and the more autocratic um, central powers. Though that said, if you look at the democratic um, uh, the, the democratic credentials of both Austria, Hungary, and Germany, they were streaks ahead of the Russians. Streaks ahead of the Russians and, and the Tsar, anyway. So um, this, it's not that we were dealing with a anything nearly as despotic um, and, under the Kaiser. So there is. Um, a good reason to um, embrace this new spirit of democratization, particularly as um, all of a sudden you have um, figures such as Woodrow Wilson saying that this is not going to be a war fought for uh, the benefit of empires, this is going to be a war for a lasting and just peace and a peace based on um self determination for nations and um a, a peace based on really the, the, the triumphs of democratic democratic values the germans are uh, keenly watching what uh, wilson is saying and when it, the kaiser is overthrown in 1918 and flees to the netherlands they um, essentially turn around to, to Wilson and say, well, you, you can't really punish us too badly at the, um, the Paris Peace Conference because, you know, we did what you wanted. Um, we, we democratised ourselves and now this is a people's, uh, a people's nation and we have um, every right to be uh, treated fairly. Wilson begins um, in, the, uh, in 1917 by saying he wanted... Uh, a peace without victory by saying ultimately that he wanted um, all powers to be treated fairly and equally um, and to have um, no, the Germans not punished excessively because ultimately it was the uh, the war was the fault of all, all great European powers. Um, this was really, in Wilson's eyes, just a kind of a, a clever ploy to um, take the... Uh, to reduce the power of the, both the British and the French, as well as the Germans, during the war, or in the uh, during the uh, during the peace, anyway. Okay, so on one hand you've got a newly democratized Russia. On the other hand, you've got a new um, ally or an associate in the guise of the United States, speaking the language of liberal democracy. And very quickly, uh, amongst the British population, Woodrow Wilson becomes astoundingly popular. In fact, he, be he becomes perhaps the most um, popular public figure uh, in 1917 and 1918. And um, there is a, uh, a sense that of incongruity between support for Wilson and his war aims and a um, deliberate restriction of, of voting rights in the United Kingdom. One of the um, next kind of great catalyst moments isn't just the... It swings back to the East, to, to Russia, and it is in October 1917, uh, the um, development of... The, well, the fall of the provisional government and the rise of um, the workers' state in the guise of the, 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 the Soviet Union. 
And there's an immense fear and anxiety um, amongst the the Liberal government after this about um, how revolution is going to spread. Firstly, they are frightened that the um, Germans might possibly capitalise on this and um, the, through the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk come to control Russia in the East. And I did um, a podcast a while back on this on this very subject on, on the Ukraine, so it's might be worth listening to. But also there's a worry that these dangerous revolutionary ideas might be about to spread. They might be about to um, kind of transmit themselves into, into other countries. The scale of uh, mutinies that had happened on the Western Front in 1917 and the um, rise in industrial action and strikes that had occurred throughout the, um, uh, the, the, the Western Allies uh, in 1917 and 1918 um, gave rise for some degree of anxiety, some degree of worry, some degree of um, concern um, amongst the, uh, the the various statesmen of the two main parties in um, uh, 1918 in the UK. Um, if you go back, there's a podcast I did on the subject of inflation, and one of the um, main aggravating um, fact, economic crises of the war um, that has huge social and political implications is that of inflation, a massive global surge in inflation due to this enormous amount of um, borrowing and spending uh, due to the war. And so you have a great deal of, of, of economic and social and industrial instability in uh, Britain in the run-up to the uh, creation of the Representation of the People Act. But also you have um, three political parties that are thinking about their, their post-war futures. The Liberals had been um, a party whose finest hour had come in 1906, with a massive landslide victory, and in 1906 and 1910 had allied themselves with the, the Labour Party, who had uh, a growing number of, of MPs, in order to um, carry out a, a social reform, um, a social reform manifesto. Um, but the the Liberal Party's 1906 triumph was really to be their last, and the um, divisions in the Liberal Party really are exposed during the war, particularly by the actions of Lloyd George, for and who um, overthrows. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, Herbert asked with in a kind of a, a coup around the topic of conscription. Um, and it's a party that, you know, a, what you would, you would describe as fissiparious. It is um, polarising around around two figures. You have the Liberal um, Coalition uh, Liberals and Opposition Liberals. And the um, belief that Lloyd George had was that uh, an expansion in the franchise could bring a surge of working class voters into the party in, in the nick of time, really, to create a kind of a new, a new basis for liberalism um, and also to stave off the um, challenge of the Labour Party. Um, the Labour Party gambled that if the uh, Representation of the People Act is passed, then they would be their main beneficiaries, which indeed they were. But the Conservatives also looked at the Representation of the People Act and thought, well, we can develop a, a new kind of conservatism here, uh, a new kind of, uh, the, the kind of one-nation conservatism that from time to time figures like Peel and Disraeli um, and managed to uh, to develop, um, and indeed they they were very successful in doing this, and on a number of occasions throughout the twentieth century, um, prime ministers like Stanley Baldwin and later Harold Macmillan were able to um, sell the Conservative Party as a party of sound financial management and one that could uh, share in the nation's wealth and help aspirant and hard-working working-class people get on the property ladder. And it was property um, and the ability to own one's own home that has always been uh, the chief appeal of the Conservatives uh, throughout the 20th century. So there, were, there was an interest on all sides um, in, in um, taking the opportunity to introduce a representation of the People's Act the um, role of uh, suffragists um, and the suffragette movement, of course, shouldn't be ignored in all of this. It's, it's chiefly important. Um, the earliest um, organised suffrage movements um, for women's suffrage uh, in the, the, the modern era date back to the eve of the 1867 Reform Act, when the... Uh, Kensington Society for Electoral Reform uh, was established uh, by Millicent Fawcett and was um, supported by um, such political luminaries and philosophical luminaries as uh, Mil oh, uh, Millicent uh, Fawcett's to be husband Henry Fawcett uh, and uh, John Stuart Mill, who um, saw no reason, no philosophical or objective reason for denying women the vote at all. Between 1903 and 1917, it was the WSPU, the Women's Social and Political Union, that managed to capture the, the, the headlines and have really come to embody 
the women's suffrage movement. But between the 1860s and the turn of the century, the bulk of the work, the bulk of the development of a national organisation, a national um, campaigning organisation, the development of um, a, uh, a, a grassroots um, suffrage movement was that uh, of the National Union of Women's Suffrage Society. Established by Lydia Becker and um, then replaced by Millicent Fawcett following uh, Lydia Becker's death. The, the NUWSS was obviously an amalgamation of um, smaller uh, local suffrage societies such as the Manchester Society which eventually uh, breaks off and it becomes the WSPU. Um, and it had initially um, no political affiliation, so it favoured no political party and didn't um, view any one party as having a uh, key role uh, in bringing about women's suffrage or um, believed that one party was more likely to do this. Um, and the uh, Campaigning was kept to uh, really the, um, the the form of correspondence. The Manchester Society that becomes the WSPU after 1903 um, favours more direct action, and from 1905 onwards, this certainly occurs. The Pankhurst family, uh, under the matriarch um, Emmeline and the three sisters Sylvia, Adela, and Christabel, um, believed that. The uh, there was there been too little action uh, in the uh, struggle for women's suffrage, and the process of granting women uh, the vote had um, been delayed. And writing all the letters in the world to newspapers and writing uh, letters to the prime minister had availed nobody really anything at all. The thing is about the Pankhursts and the WSPU in general is that they didn't want universal suffrage; they wanted um, female suffrage on the same basis that men had been enfranchised. So they were not looking to enfranchise all women, and they certainly didn't want all men enfranchised either. They wanted the terms really of the 1867 and the 1883 Reform Acts extended just to women. So this meant that women of property could be enfranchised, and the um, Critics of the WSPU showed um, that it wasn't um, the policy of them to campaign for votes for women, but votes for ladies, which was an entirely different proposition. So the um, the thing about the WSPU is we need to kind of step away from looking at it as this sort of um, rather sort of slightly left emancipatory organisation. They were had well, they were kind of as conservative with a, um, a small C um, as any other um, male-dominated organisation of the time, and it's interesting that um, Emmeline herself drifted towards um, Oswald Mosley's British Union of Fascists during the 1930s. Um, perhaps these two things are connected. Just suggesting. There was, um, after 1906, quite a lot of sympathy within the Liberal Party for votes for women, but the one figure who did not have any time for it at all was, unfortunately, Asquith himself. Um, the uh, 
colleagues of Asquith, people such as Lloyd George, believed in principle it wasn't a terrible idea at all and, and should perhaps be entertained, um, didn't really have uh, the ability to um, pursue it um, through the Commons as a piece of government legislature or private members at bill um, or to allow it to have any parliamentary time, partly because of the um, major constitutional crises that engulfed the Liberal government, but also because of Asquith himself. And unfortunately for the uh, suffragists, they also find that uh, in the within the Labour movement, um, there is um, a deafening silence when it comes to the issue of uh, women's votes. Um, the the Labour movement are um, in favour, uh, you know, the Labour Party, the various left, so small fringe left parties like the Social Democratic Federation led by Henry Hindman. Uh, whilst they might be in favour of social reform and uh, fair pay for the honest working man, um, they are, you know, a, a bunch of chauvinists through and through, by and large, and have, um, you know, the extent of their radical politics does not extend to um, gender politics. The meeting of sort of socialist um, politics and gender politics is really a thing of, you know, post-World War Two. Um, they, the these uh, kind of uh, radical political ideas forge under very particular circumstances, probably really in the 1960s. On the uh, outbreak of war, um, the Pankhursts abandon their agitation and their publication, Votes for Women, becomes rebranded uh, re as um, the magazine Britannia, fighting for good patriotic values and presenting the women's movement as part of a, a wider struggle for, for victory, really. So it becomes quite, quite um, again, a conservative with a small c um, uh, publication. And the um, WSPU also engaged in um, encouraging young men to uh, go and serve uh, to fight on the Western Front. Um, the NUWSS, uh, for the duration of the war, um, avoided political activity uh, prior to the war in the 10 days before the declaration of war um, Millicent Fawcett um, said that really war should be avoided at all costs but um, they, the organisation um, declined to make any kind of uh, stance on the war um, as it continued and suspended its campaign for the duration the war seemed on uh, many fronts to have had this uh, nationally unifying quality to it in that Millicent Fawcett didn't like the war and had um, spoken out before the war um, about the, uh, the importance of trying to preserve peace at all costs. But as the war continued, she believed that any talk of um, peace or negotiation was tantamount to an act of treason. On the uh, passing of the Act in uh, 1918, um, it resulted that the, the following year in Millicent Fawcett finally stepping down from her role. And the, the focus of um, women's um, political um, organisation in the NUWWS shifted away from suffrage, which had been uh, achieved for um, wealthy property-owning women, um, 
and instead focused on um, new issues such as pay equality and gender equality within the home, reform of divorce law and a reform of the laws around prostitution and also reforms around um, things such as child custody um, and uh, the equal legal standing of men and women within the family. Anyway, so I guess to conclude about this, the, the bigger picture with the, um, the uh, representation of the People Act 1918 is that it was a response to the political and social crises thrown up by the pressures of war and it had far more to do with that than it had to do with uh, concessions towards uh, the women's movement or a sense of obligation um, or really um, the uh, campaigning efforts of the women's movement before the war, which I believe generally that the Liberal government and then the coalition government after the war could continue to have uh, ignored had it not been for um, pressure to uh, create a, a more widespread um, electoral reform. It's really about bringing the, uh, the, the working classes in general into the political system and it is the it is working class women who are the most unenfranchised um, people uh, within the United Kingdom after the representation of the people at 1918 anyway. So the, the focus is about taking the steam out of um, potential revolutionary or syndicalist um, threats um, to the establishment uh, after uh, the end of the First World War. Anyway, I hope you found this useful and um, you can find out more about this sort of thing in the two new textbooks that I'm publishing um, for the AQA and Edexcel syllabuses. I'll be posting these links to these online soon. They are ready for pre-order. You can look on my Amazon page and uh, check them out there. Uh, and also I'll be putting links on uh, explaining history um, the explaining history website. Anyway, thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.